Morning. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Cam Brown. I am uh, a minister of the church sent to the campus, so I work for an organization called RUF. Uh, if you're a student here at UW or Edgewood, I'd love to meet you. Um, and if you're not a student, I'd love to meet you as well. Um, so it's good to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, if you were with us last week, we began a new sermon series. Uh, we're going through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and for some of us, that might seem a little bit odd. Why are we talking about a creed uh, when we preach? Well, we're doing this uh, for two reasons. We're titling this series Rooted, and we're doing this like Matt was sharing with us last week because we all have a creed. It's unavoidable. So asking the basic question, what do I believe, which is what a creed is doing. It's saying, I believe X or Y. It's essential. And second, we do it because we live in an age of confusion. We live in an age where we struggle to understand how to evaluate the competing creeds that we see around us. How do we know what is true? So much so that many of us uh, have seen argued the relativity of truth. And this confusion is not only existing around us, it even exists in our own churches. See, many people have different answers to what Christianity is all about. And we're returning to the Apostles' Creed because it's what Christians have believed and confessed for over 2,000 years. It is the simplest expression of what Christians believe. It grew up organically in the life of the early church, and it most likely grew up as a liturgy for baptism. And so what would happen is that people would come to the priest uh, for baptism, and he would say, do you believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth? And the person would say, I believe. And they'd say, do you believe and his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And they would say, I believe. And do you believe in the Holy Ghost? And he would say, I believe. And even before that, if you saw in our reflection this morning, the Christian confession consisted of just two words, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Kyrios Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That's the earliest Christian confession. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And so last week we talked about God as the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. And this week we turn to Jesus Christ his only son, our Lord. So as you saw quoted in our reflection time, Jesus is not only the centerpiece of the Apostle Creed, but he is the centerpiece of all of Scripture in the church. So I'll read it again. Uh, ben Myers uh, writes a book on the Apostles' Creed, and he says this, The real centerpiece of the Apostles' Creed is not a doctrine, but a name. Even before the ancient baptismal confession had taken shape, the earliest Christian confession consisted of just two words, Kyrios Jesus, Jesus is Lord. That early statement remains the spiritual heartbeat of the baptismal creed. Everything else in the creed radiates like the spokes of a wheel from that hub. Personal attachment to Jesus, total allegiance to him. And so if you're here this morning asking the question, what is Christianity all about? Or even if you're returning to the question in our own struggles to believe, I would invite you to turn to Jesus today. And that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks, because the creed's going to continue about who this Jesus is. And what I want to say is that on Jesus hinges the essence of Christianity. And this is important because there's many competing, competing claims for even who Jesus is. Is Jesus just a good moral teacher? Is Jesus just an idea? Is Jesus just a good person? See, the scriptures say that Jesus is actually the God of the universe. He's the second person of the Trinity. And so as we engage with the text today, 
let's keep that in mind. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in Hebrews 1, chapters 1 through 14. It's printed in your bulletin. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings to the firstborn in, in, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, "Let all God's angels worship him." Of the angels, he says, "He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire." But of the Son, he says, "Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions." And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray now for the teaching of it. God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that it's given to us because it's absolutely true, and it's given to us because you love us. God, I pray that as uh, I bring forward your word today, Lord, that your spirit would be the one who speaks. God, I pray that no matter how we are coming to the text today, whether we are weary, whether we are joyful, wherever we come to the text today, would you meet us, and would you give us yourself? Amen. You guys can be seated. Before we uh, dive in to kind of the three points of this passage, um, I want to talk very, very briefly, really note uh, about the beginning of this phrase, which is that Jesus is his only son. See, Christians believe in this thing that we call the Trinity. We believe that Jesus, we believe that God the Father, and we believe the Holy Spirit are three persons and one God. Fundamentally, this is a mysterious connection. Uh, many people give all sorts of illustrations uh, to make this um, uh, more palatable and understandable to our conscience. Uh, but what I want us to see first and foremost is we're going to be throughout this series talking more about this. Is is just to note that Christianity says that Jesus is God. Verse three says that He is the exact imprint of His nature. And so, as we evaluate even these competing creeds about who Jesus is, about who God is. Uh, he is not simply a moral teacher. He's not simply a good man. Christians believe that Jesus is God. We believe that he is begotten, not made, that he's literally of God, that he's not just uh, created like him. And we need to see that at the very beginning of the passage, what Jesus claims. And let me just say this. Uh, I just wanted to note that uh, as we talk about those things, the Trinity is not simply this... Um, abstract theological thing, this abstract doctrine that we kind of note, it's actually immensely practical. Let me give you an example. Uh, many of us here uh, care about prayer, right? We care that we can speak to God, that he answers us. 
Uh, well, the Trinity gives us an understanding of, of how that happens. See, the Father answers prayer and he exercises power. We as Christians believe that God the Father uh, actually rules and has authority in the world. And so when we come to him and ask things of him, uh, we can have comfort and hope that he answers and that he is uh, providentially controlling our lives. We know that the Son gives us access to the Father, that he's interceding for us. So when we come to the Father, we know that we have an advocate. That's a great hope. We know that the Holy Spirit works upon our hearts in such a way that he teaches us how to pray. And so when we come to God, like Romans 8 talks about, and we don't even have the words, we can rest in the reality that the Holy Spirit is able to help us speak. And so uh, at the beginning of this passage, we see that Jesus claims to be God. And I just want to note that that's a practical reality. But more particularly, the three points about who this Jesus is that this passage talks about is this. First, Jesus is greater than the prophets. Second, Jesus is greater than the priests. And finally, Jesus is greater than the angels. Uh, one commentator says this, it's been well observed that in these opening verses of the epistle, we have the son set before us in the threefold character of his messianic office. That is what Jesus does. As the prophet through whom God's final word has been spoken to us, as the priest who made purifications for our sins, and as the king who is enthroned at the right hand of the majesty on God. So Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king. And so, first, Christ is greater than the prophets. Well, what do you think of when you think of a prophet? Some of us here might think of Harry Potter, some sort of prophecy of fulfillment in a fantasy series. Other of us here might think of some sort of fortune teller, someone that just kind of says what the future is going to be. Um, it's certainly true that if we go back to the Old Testament and we look at the prophets, the prophets often spoke about what was to come, whether that was judgment or blessing or whatever else. But the prophets were not just uh, teachers. They were not just fortune tellers. The prophets were the mouthpieces of God. That's what the scripture says. So the job of a prophet was to communicate to God's people the word of God. Not their own word, but the word of God. They were the key figures of the face. Mo Moses was the greatest, and yet Jesus here is greater. And so Jesus, uh, why is he greater? Well, Jesus hasn't just delivered to us the word of God. He is the word of God. If you're familiar with John 1, uh, in the beginning was